Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dr. Usher Ways In. I'm Dr. Dave Usher, founder of Reform Medicine, a direct primary care and obesity medicine system located in multiple sites around western Wisconsin. This podcast was created to shine light on the problems of healthcare costs in this country, give hope to those stricken by the pandemic of obesity, and inspire doctors and other healthcare practitioners with the knowledge that there is an alternative path to the legacy health system where doctor burnout and work-life imbalance are far too often the norm. In today's podcast, we are going to talk about direct primary care as a essential part of uh, a self-insured health plan. For those who are involved in that kind of thing, it could be very interesting. Uh, for other people, it's a little inside baseball, but I think it's still uh, informative and interesting, so I hope you'll enjoy it. This presentation was given at a recent healthcare best practices event, which are going on around the state of Wisconsin. You may have heard us talking about that in another podcast. So this is a presentation about the direct primary care, an independent direct primary care doctor and, and practice as part of a self-funded team. So with no further ado, we'll jump on into that. Reform Medicine, as I founded it 12 or 13 years ago, in 2011, 12 years ago, uh, was a purely direct pay fee-for-service practice, and we have evolved into a direct primary care practice for employers. And uh, what that means basically is you pay, uh, the employer pays a membership fee on behalf of their employees and uh, family members, and they basically get all the access they want and need for primary care so that they can avoid the more expensive systems that tend to hit their insurance plans and drive up premiums over time, which makes health insurance plans for employers more and more unaffordable or less and less affordable. So our goal is to keep money in the pockets of the employees and their family members, as well as to provide some economic relief for employers and allow them to spend their hard-earned revenues on things that bring more value to their people and help with recruitment and retention, uh, as well as just a healthier workforce, better productivity, happier people, and a culture of health within the workplace. So I'm going to start off by just giving you a few interesting facts about where people spend their money right? Kind of a, a perspective lender, if you will. According to FinMasters, which is a like a financial planning, personal finance kind of website, an average pet owner in the United States will spend $1,480 a year on their dog and $902 on their cat, right? That's all in. So that's not just food and it's not just medicine, but they'll spend a lot of money on pets. If you break those down monthly, that's over a hundred bucks a month on your dog, for example. I have a dog. I love my dog. And we do spend some money on the dog. But the point is, people often will grouse about having to spend money on their health care and so forth. Meanwhile, they spend a lot of money on their pets. In the state of Wisconsin, the average cost of car ownership is $5,100 a year, right? That breaks down to $425 a month or $98 a week. Again, cars are essential. You need to be able to get from place to place. But $425 a month to be able to drive a car is, and I don't think that's outlandish, depending on how often you buy new cars. Uh, but in any case, that is the number. This is uh, according to insurance.com. And the average, this is from Money Lion, the average American monthly cell phone bill. I see you raising your hands out there. Oh, oh, pick me, pick me. $127 a month. A single line costs, uh, on average, about $60 a month. So 
depending on how you got your thing, your your bill structure and so forth, we're spending a lot of money. Are paying three and four hundred, five hundred dollars a month. They finance their phones through there and so on. So it is. Uh, in any case, the average American monthly cell bill is one hundred twenty-seven dollars a month. So we spend our money in lots of interesting places, and yet somehow when we it comes to our own personal health, we get a little kind of funny about who's paying for this and does my insurance cover that? And I'm not doing it, and it's too expensive, and so on. I'm not taking that sixty-dollar a month medicine. How would I pay for my cell phone? And these things are necessary, by the way. Cell phones, you can't really live without them these days. I, I get all of that. But it's a it's an interesting perspective. So let's talk about an age-old rivalry. Us against them, or we against they, or however you want to think of it. The employer health plan against the healthcare beast. Uh, Matt Ort recently wrote a book about kind of the best practices for assembling a self-funded health plan. Uh, and one of his phrases is something like, stop feeding the beast right? What's the beast? Beast is kind of the legacy fee-for-service insurance uh, reimbursed driven health system, usually based around a hospital or a hospital system through no fault of its own. Nobody's trying to be bad. It's just the way the system is structured. There's just some real structural problems with, with the beast. And so the question is, how can employers break out of the grasp of that system, that beast that just devours profits, eats up the employees' real wage increases, which leads to you know less and less buying power over time. So that's the, the story. I, I'm going to mix some metaphors here today. The employer health plan, our knight in shining armor versus the beast. But more people in Wisconsin, I think, would relate to, if I put this in football terms. So I decided to kind of talk about this problem in the way I would talk about Football, and I'm not the biggest football fan, but I've you know been around for a few years and have seen a few games, so I kind of understand it a little bit. But basically, when you start talking about, we're talking NFL football here, right? There's lots of money in the thing and salaries and bonuses and incentives and endorsements and all kinds of stuff. But basically, there's a, a general manager who kind of hires the coach and the players and has a lot of decision-making authority. And the coach, of course, manages the players and develops the team and rolls out the game plan and so forth. And of course, there's the players. Those are the people we all know. Aaron Rodgers and and all the big name people in Wisconsin, that's Aaron Rodgers is our, has been the big name. Everybody kind of knows in Wisconsin. And um, although he's moving away, unfortunately, but it is what it is. And so, and then of course, there's the fans, right? There's the fan base, the people who go to the games and buy the merch, watch things on TV. That's where all the money comes from. That's those, they're the people driving uh, the league the organization that owns our Sundays uh, in this country. So for the purposes of our discussion today, I'm going to talk about the football. When I, if I talk about the football, what I'm talking about is basically medical care provided to individuals, right? Just when somebody needs something, they come into the medical system. Uh, we take them and the ball, basically we want to move the ball forward for the patient and uh, hopefully try to score a touchdown. A touchdown in my opinion, is patient-centered care delivery that is cost-effective and gets the optimal care outcome. In other words, do the thing for the patient that's best for the patient that makes most financial sense for the patient, uh, that is, gives the best value with the best outcome we can get, right? Some people are going to have what we think of as bad prognosis. Maybe they have terrible lung disease or cancer or something that we're not going to cure, but yet we can still treat people really well and help them to heal and feel well as we can and feel as good about their care as we can. So that's a touchdown. Kind of the 
opposite of a touchdown, uh, unfortunately, is the fumble. What's the fumble? Well, the fumble is when there's a care experience breakdown, right? We can't get in when we need to. The cost is exorbitantly high. The procedure is uncomfortable or it's, it's not convenient. Maybe we get a wrong diagnosis or prescribe the wrong treatment or not malpractice per se, but uh, sometimes you just, things just happen and you wind up with kind of going down the wrong path for a while until you figure things out. Communication, just simply communication. That may be the biggest fumble in healthcare generally is uh, how we fail to communicate and keep people in the know about what's going on. Uh, we see this all the time in just about every every other service area these days. Think of tracking a package through UPS or FedEx, right? The, the texts never stop coming. Like, oh, your package is, you know, now 100 miles from you on I-94, and now it's 70 miles. It's, I'm exaggerating a little, but that's kind of the point, is they really over-communicate. And in healthcare, it's not been the case that we tend to over-communicate. We tend, if anything, to under-communicate. And so that probably is one of the most egregious of fumbles where we drop the ball most often in healthcare. Uh, again, nobody intends to do that. It's just kind of a product of the system and the way it's reimbursed and so on. So you have your football team, right? You're the self-funded, self-insured employer, and you are ready to roll out this new plan, you think, and you've got all your all your players' positions are filled. That is all the people that you're going to work with, your insurance network, your PBM or pharmacy benefit manager, your third-party administrator, maybe you have a care navigator, you've got a stop-loss carrier so to protect your uh, risk at the end of the day. And you think to yourself, I got all my positions filled. Your HR person says, our game plan's good. And HR person and the broker together, maybe they do an open enrollment meeting or series of meetings and so forth. Uh, they're all very excited. They roll this thing out. And six months or a year go, goes by and nine months goes by and you're going, wow, this, hmm, we're not doing very well here. What's going on? Uh, our self-funded healthcare plan team is struggling, right? And you know that as the GM, if you're the, the CEO, for example, or the, the person who's writing the checks and your HR person is thought they had a good plan and so forth. And yet you fail to see results any better this year than last year, or they're not nearly as good as you thought you were going to get. What has happened uh, with employees generally who are stuck in these situations is the, the employees, by the way, and their family members are basically our fans, right? They're the fan base. They're the ones who generate all of our uh, revenue for us. They are the ones without which we would not be able to uh, make a living, uh, pay the bills, grow our companies, and so on. So they're the fan base. And you want them screaming your name and chanting, coach, 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 because they're so excited and because the game's going so well. But unfortunately, a lot of times the game doesn't go as well as they want, and they start to suffer from low expectations year over year. Unfortunately, the broker or the HR person has to come in and say, well, we're seeing premiums go up again and they're going up this much. Uh, and it's really a bad news kind of situation. And all the employees sit there and go, oh, you know, it's kind of like the football fans are like, we're punting again. Holy man. And, you know, the guy next to you shrugs your shoulders, and goes, eh, who's surprised? And somebody else pipes up with, well, there's always next year. It's just these low expectations. You kind of, nobody's really surprised anymore when, when the bad news comes. And so, you know, you're in the fourth quarter with three minutes left and the beast is up by three touchdowns. There's just not a lot of hope and you're kind of just, well, roll into the next year and let's see what happens. So why don't you see the results you expect? Well, when you 
go to build a winning self-funded healthcare plan team. You go into it and you have you say we're gonna we're gonna do it this year. We're gonna win big. And you go in with all the you knew you know the who, what, why, and so forth, or the what, where, and when. Uh, you know the why. It's the right thing to do to get get your people set up with a good health plan. And you know that self-funding is is the way to go. And of course, you want to have something local. The where is local to where your people are, so they can use it and uh, get the care they need. And the when, I don't know, 20 years ago, it would have been great. But yesterday, next year, this fall, whenever open enrollment is again, whenever we go into our new plan year, the big W that leaves us, or maybe the big W that creates some of the problems is the who. The who on our team. Who are we building our team out of? And that's the challenge. And furthermore, not just the who, but what is their why? Why does the who want to be part of your team. Does that make sense? In the old uh, game plan, let's say, um, whether it was last year or five years ago or even this year, the old game plan kind of relies on the what I call the traditional insurance approach. If that was a really great approach, we wouldn't be trying to change things and do things better. It just kind of leaves some unsolved fundamental issues with the old game plan does. Uh, and that is, you wind up waiting a long time for an appointment. When you go in to see your provider the or doctor, the, the doctor feels rushed. Uh, therefore, they tend to do more testing and write for drugs faster, make more referrals, because uh, there's just out of time. They just don't have time to, to dig in with you and maybe avoid some of those things. But they don't want to leave you undertreated or underdiagnosed. So you tend to get more maybe than what you would need if there wasn't a rush. Uh, one of the biggest things is the lack of transparency in pricing in healthcare. Not no ability to see what something's going to cost or understand what it's going to cost you as the individual. Or obscurity would be another way, or opaque uh, pricing. There's just no way to see it. Uh, and then, as a result of that, what you get at the end of the month is a surprise bill. Uh, this is the thing that uh, again brings out brings out the palpitations and the chest pain for people who <laughs> open their bills at the end of the month. And they go, holy cow, I had no idea that was going to cost that much. Nobody nobody could tell me. I asked and nobody told me. But yet, because you're in duress, you're, you were told you needed this test uh, or it could be dangerous for you, you just do it, right? And you don't. it doesn't allow you to shop or understand what it is. Even if you could go somewhere else and get a price, you wouldn't know how that compares to where you are. As a result of all of this, what happens is uh, all of these claims go to your insurance plan and your insurance experience is high, and what that means, because this year's premiums, this year's charges are next year's premiums, your premiums just go up and up and up, which is what we've seen, right? So if you build a self-funded health plan using that same old game plan, the same old coaches, the same old players, what you're going to get is the same old results. And uh, that's why uh, we talk about this uh, in the way that we do and uh, trying to educate uh, people and employers about uh, building a different team, maybe for a different game plan. Who are team members playing for? And what is their why? Remember, we talked about the healthcare beast, right? So if you enroll part of the beast onto your team, you're likely to see that the beast will steer care to the beast. That is to say, they will act in their own best interest. And there's kind of this situation set up where if you were to do what you wanted to do, which is save a bunch of costs and lower your health spend and maybe decrease your premiums, 
uh, over time, or at least flatten your premium curves and have healthier people who don't use as much healthcare. That, while it feels like a win to you, really sets you up against the system uh, who will perceive that as a loss. So even the best people will be influenced by the beast. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're a primary care doctor working in the system, a big insurance network or a PBM or a TPA, all of those folks, they could be incredibly skilled people with the biggest hearts. And yet, because they're part of the beast, they will be influenced uh, by the system, the beast system. So if you have people who are pay, playing, people on your team who are really playing for the other team, that's not the optimal design, let's say. What I would say a fundamental piece uh, to think about is, and we as as a family doctor, we've always thought this, right? You're trained to think that you, as the primary care doctor, the person who knows this patient the best, really should be the quarterback of whatever healthcare team there is. Why is that? Well, because primary care doctors have a lot of skills, you know, like a quarterback can run the ball or hand it off or pass or call audibles or run options, all that's to RPOs and so on. And the quarterback, of course, has a, a big interest in having his team win. The primary care doctor really should be playing only for your team and not be playing for the other team while playing for your team. Shaving points, as it were. Your quarterback should know and understand your game plan. He should call plays from your playbook. And your quarterback should know that it's going to take a different kind of game plan to win uh, in the healthcare insurance, self-insurance uh, arena. It really requires a different type or a different approach to patient care. And your quarterback should engage other team members differently. So as a family practice doc in a big system previously, I had no idea what the insurance was or who a TPA was or PBM or any of those things. When your quarterback, primary care quarterback, knows all those folks and what they do and how they relate to you, given the fact that family physicians, for example, can handle about 80 or 90% of whatever a patient needs, there's a lot of benefit to be had if, you're, if your primary care physician uh, can be the quarterback on your team. And the other thing that quarterbacks do is they recognize the defense. They know uh, what the defense is trying to do to try to um, sack the quarterback or cause a fumble or uh, keep you from scoring, if it were, as it were. And um, in this case, it's just the, the the barriers that insurance companies and so forth put up and the way design they're just designed in to try to get more money out of uh, your insurance plan, your self-funded insurance plan, and out of your employees and beneficiaries. A good quarterback recognizes all those defensive tactics and helps the patient steer around that. From the standpoint of your team, what you want to do is draft an all-pro quarterback, right? You want somebody on your side who knows the game and uh, is willing to come on board completely with you and your team. Here is where we enter direct primary care. What is direct primary care? Well, direct primary care, as I may have mentioned before, is membership-based. The employer pays you contracted per member per month or PMPM. And we don't have to worry about that whole fee-for-service system of trying to grind patients through and get a lot of people in so that we can make some money. Because we have, like your cell phone bill, we pay a certain amount, we get a certain amount of service, uh, unlimited talk, text, and data. You know what you're getting every month. There's no surprises, right? Why that matters? Well, if you can pay your primary care doctor differently, that allows us to engage our patient care differently. We don't have to see patients every time to do anything for them because the only way we'd get paid is if we drag them into the office. If you work with us directly, uh, an independent direct primary care doctor, we're working for you, right? Our goal is to make you happy. We don't care what whether the hospital makes money or whether the 
other the insurance agencies, any of those people, that's not our concern. Our concern is you, the employer, making sure what's happening for you is in your best interest. And by extension, what's happening to your your employees and their families very much is in your best interest to have that go well. So we're driven to work for all of you. Our plan generally, and I would encourage this as a $0 office, eliminate all the economic barriers. HSAs, you can get into the weeds on all of this, but I would try to do as best you can to get rid of as many barriers as you can because you're paying for that direct primary care. You may as well incentivize it to get the most utilization. If you can tell your patients it'll never cost you a dime to go to the primary care doctor, uh, boy, you'll get some incredible results and you'll ne they'll never see surprise bills and you won't have to worry about your people complaining about it. The other thing about direct primary care is we pretty much guarantee, we hate the word guarantee because things come up and it's hard to do, but we are committed to getting our employers direct primary care patients in same day or next day. When people know that and they trust that, they'll come in sooner. They won't wait until something gets really bad. They'll come in sooner. When they do that, they avoid a lot of expensive care, like urgent care and emergency room, uh, which saves your health plan a lot of money and a lot of claims experience. Uh, direct primary care, because again, because of the way we're paid, we get longer appointment times. Longer appointment times, just like anybody else, if I want to know somebody better, I got to spend time with them, right? If I want to know my kids, I got to spend a little time with them. Spouse relationships, all that. So if you want a good relationship with your provider, we longer appointment times help promote that. By having that better relationship, we can actually often avoid a lot of uh, referrals and testing and treatments that otherwise might be kind of thrown out there earlier because we just are we're out of time. We got to do we got to make a decision. The direct primary care is very much into uh, using virtual, you know, the tech-based uh, options when it makes sense you know, a virtual visit or even just a phone conversation or secure messaging, things like that. We don't always need to bring people into the office. It's uh, we can arrange things for them without having them come in uh, again, because we're paid differently. We've already been paid to do that. One of the best things though, is none of these visits or any care that we provide in the direct primary care space goes to your insurance claims. That's never anything your insurance, even your insurance is kind of agnostic to our existence uh, because none of what we do hits their uh, claims experience and doesn't cost them a thing. So that's one of the ways uh, you can save money on your insurance right away is just that you see fewer claims from primary care if your people are using your direct primary care aggressively. And what happens is that starts to flatten your curve, your cost curve. And as that happens year over year, you really start to see some compounded saving. The big system owns half the primary care doctors. Right? The beast is holding captive half of the primary care doctors uh, across the country. In some regions, it's much more. In, in our little western Wisconsin, probably a bigger, way bigger percentage is beholden to the hospital-based systems. Um, and when you're a primary care physician owned by uh, the system, you don't tend to, you tend to call plays from the system's playbook and rarely call, call audibles and do something outside of the box. And you don't really pay much attention to other members of the employer's team. They don't, we just aren't, it's not in our mindset to do that. So there's just kind of this improper alignment between the quarterback and the team owner, right? The general manager. So these primary care doctors are not really trying to oppose you. They're not trying to submarine your plan. They're not actively playing against you. They're just not actively playing for you as a, as a, as a real team member. They're kind of cost unaware. They they know it's tough to know what something costs, and they're they try to ask the system, and the system tells them, yeah, we can't really know that. So that's kind of frustrating for them as well. But if you 
huddle up this uh, this team of yours. It's pull them all together. Maybe you have to draft some new players, make some trades. But if you can get your HR and your TPA and your your C-suite, your care navigator, your PBM, your network, stop-loss carrier, all in the same team in the same room together, uh, you can create a really great game plan. And I would say foundational to that is you have to have an independent direct primary care physician or practice because they're really at liberty. They're, we're, we're free uh, because we're independent. And, and frankly, we're very, very motivated to play for your team and not anybody else's team. We don't have any perverse incentives to treat or test or send for MRIs or any of that stuff that just doesn't exist uh, in an independent direct primary care practice. We get you what you need, when you need it, and only because you need it and not because some other third-party entity is telling us we need to do this. Um, we're really practicing for you. We know your team and we know your plan. Sounds too great to be true, I know. I, we hear this all the time. That just That's just incredible. How, does, how do you do that? We've been working with the Chippewa Falls Area School District in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin for six years. And they, I, the, suffice it to say that they were on a track, they're predicted to spend over $18 million on their health plan in 2022. And they wound up spending probably less than four, $4 million. So, and there's other years where they saved uh, big amounts of money. Probably this is the biggest savings year I think they've had. And we're into 2023, starting into year seven. And those savings, they go back right back into the teacher's payrolls and other benefits and so forth. They're very, very happy to have that. Uh, we have a county in Wisconsin who's in year one. And uh, actually at the end of year one, they had just absolutely crushed it. They were already trying to figure out what to do with all this extra money that they saved on their health plan. So we have 20 different employers we work with. And statistically, employers with a good health plan like this can save 40% or more on their health plan. So the way to do that is the key to all of that, besides what the direct primary care, independent direct primary care does, is engenders trust. Trust is the key to a therapeutic relationship. So if you incentivize your DPC utilization and you get rapid buildup of trust because people come to the door and they go, oh, that was nice. And then they'll call and they'll get what they need. And that was nice. And they keep doing that. And, it, and then the next thing you know, they're telling other people around the workplace and they're calling and getting good experiences. And when it's when it doesn't cost them anything, when they can get in the same day and they don't feel rushed, and they they feel like, gosh, this this doctor's office, this direct primary care just feels like part of the team. And and then they trust you more as the employer because you did this really great thing and they love it. And they'll take ownership in that health in your health plan. They'll take ownership in your health plan. Utilization builds better health and cost savings. And that really is uh the ticket to all of this. Trust is is the key. And the way to get to trust is a, is an independent direct primary care practice who's playing for your team. Employee recruitment and retention, productivity and engagement, you know, just generally health, the culture around the workplace, those things can all get better uh, when you have a good uh, trusting relationship. So going back to where I was, where we started off here, the average pet owner, the doc or the dog, you'll spend 1500 bucks a year on your dog and $902 on your cat. Why is this relevant? Direct primary care fees annually across the country. For an adult, you can buy all their primary care, depending on where you are, for somewhere between $700 and $1,800 a year. The average across the country is about $900. So you spend more money on your cat, is the point. If you're a dog, you spend way more, uh, if you have a dog. So this is not expensive stuff. To imagine you can get all of that primary care and all of these benefits for less than what people spend on their cat in a year, 
uh, I think that's a good way to think about the uh, cost effectiveness of this type of plan. So I thank you for tuning in today. I'm I'm hoping that for anybody who didn't get to our self-fund event, that this might be a way for you to gain a little bit of knowledge about how things went uh, during that event. Of course, at Reform Medicine, we're always happy to uh, hear from you if you have questions or concerns, or and there's some way we can help you with uh, your employer plan. We'd be thrilled to speak with you. This has been David J. Usher, MD, for Dr. Usher Ways In. And I appreciate your tuning in with us today. We'll see you on another podcast.